Welcome to episode six, I think, of Patch Notes. We can make right. we can make it a bit that I don't know the episode t- oh, number. That's, that'll oh, be a very criticism. Bit. We received criticism from a from a listener uh, because we're numbering it like patch numbers: one point one, one point two, one point three. Uh-huh. He was he was very distraught that he couldn't find um, patch notes one point zero. Oh boy, we skipped it because we're bad at this. Is this actually someone who was being seriously distraught? Yeah. Well, I don't. He wasn't distraught. He was just being a dick. But he does. He does like the show. He says. Well, okay. If he likes the show, then maybe I don't know. Maybe I should. All right. I'll make. I'll make one. I'll make one point zero. But we'll. We can do a. We can do like a, an outlaw episode for one point zero. We'll do like an ash can. Remember those from back in the day, where like they would put out like a tiny thin version of Deadpool zero or like. Amazing Spider-Man Zero. Yeah, did just... No, we had one of those recently with Deadpool, like the PG-13 cut. Oh, really? At least over Christmas. Yeah, I remember this being a thing. I forget if it was Deadpool or Deadpool 2. Um, but they decided to do a, a PG-13 cut instead of an R cut. And the irony was like, you know, Deadpool was calling you a pussy the entire time <laughs> uh, for watching not the R version. But also it was, you know, not an R-rated movie. Not the only hard R in that movie, as I'm to understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you. I don't know if you got that one. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. Like I remember Ashcan editions, and I remember just even even then thinking they were like the dumbest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, even then, it's like why why are we doing this? Like why are we why are we releasing this tiny comic just to get people? to buy it as an exclusive at Wizard World or whatever. And I guess I just answered my own question. To get people to buy it as an exclusive at Wizard World. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I'm glad you're talking me into this then. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, John, welcome back. It's always nice to see you. Thank you. Um, Trev. No, thank you so much. Uh, what have you been up to? Anything fun? Uh, it's just been another week. Uh, the freelance life is the freelance life. Um, got any big, big stories coming out? No. I mean, I've got stuff I'm working on. Um, doing some non-publicly facing editing work. Um, hoping I get a full-time job. Applying for full-time jobs, you know, the usual. Are you editing, um, are you editing anyone who is a war criminal right now? No. I am, I'm doing a surprising amount of Warhammer work. Um, okay. It's not, cr- not for, like, the company or anything, for fans Sure, friends, sure, sure. Uh, I'm you know editing fan material, um, but considering my views of Warhammer, I've never been a Warhammer fan. I've never really, I mean, Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. I've never, you know, been huge into them. I find the orcs annoying. I find the fascism doesn't work with irony anymore. You know, it's just mm-hmm. been taken over by actual fascists. Yeah, it's just it's um, just fascism, right? <laughs> yeah, um, but they, they've made attempts to bring it back. There was some they've, they've been doing some decent stuff online. They've been trying to pull the IP back from the brink that it kind of got onto uh, after a while. Okay. And you know, um, obviously, that fandom is always going to have issues with people who don't view, you know, for instance, the Imperium of Man as a ironic take 
or a <laughs> cautionary tale, but as this is pretty cool. Right. But uh, <laughs> this you know, rocks. <laughs> uh, it's been it's been less aggravating than I thought it would be. Uh, I do want to see, like, it, when I do try to consume Warhammer and Warhammer 40k material, I just I, I try to get as far away from the humans as possible, though. Um, Why is that? Because, well, one, at least in 40k, and and also in base Warhammer, um, they're always doing the the very reactionary stuff. Um, the humans are. Yeah, the humans. Uh, so okay. you've got the Imperium of Man, and I think in forty in in, in Warhammer Fantasy, which they more or less wrapped up, but then started releasing these Total War games based on it. So it's yeah, know, which have been really a big deal. Yeah, yeah, um, and and those are very you know. Uh, you've got this mashup of Teutonic and Roman um, culture as this as the empire of man uh, in those games. Can um, I ask, like, how much of that ended up... Like, so I know some of that's, like, the big, like, strong guy... Um, strong guy, like... Um, I'm trying to think of what it is. Like, the big, huge, like, space guys, basically. The space uh, marines? Yeah, I guess. But yeah. then some of them are just, like, covered in all the armor right like just like sure. more armor than you can imagine yeah I mean, um that's that's for the 40k guys the space marines are like eight feet tall they've got three hearts six lungs or whatever they're yeah they're yeah mutants. and then they've got these these uh giant uh like uh casket slash sarcophagus mechs called dreadnoughts where you basically i, I believe the idea is that you shove a uh, a warrior who is too fucked up to fight anymore into one of these like living coffins that cool. also has chain guns attached yeah no the thing is that 40k's aesthetics are very cool as long as you don't pay too much attention like because the politics are based on genocide basically well yeah so what i was going to ask was how much of this is just about like how much of this was was uh ruined by just trump like, because I know a lot of, like, God Emperor Trump I stuff. I mean, that, that stuff exists, but it's it's not like Trump's existence pushed this to a different plane or illuminated it in a different way that people didn't already see. It may have forced a couple more conversations at their local gaming tables mm-hmm. that weren't had before, but, it you know, it's not... The fact that Trump slots in so well as a clownish version of the human emperor... Um, the Emperor of Man uh, isn't a new concept for people who have played 40k for a long time. Okay. Um, and that community has been dealing with that for a long, you know, 20 years now. I mean, it, a lot <laughs> of that came out in the 80s. It was a reaction to Thatcher's England because uh, uh, Games Workshop was originally British, um, and and also to Reagan's America. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. And then, you know, it's sort of, we hit the end of history and sort of lost its way. And now I guess it, I guess it's, you know, newly relevant, but it's not like you're saying anything, you know, new or something that you're blowing people's minds by putting Trump in the emperor position. That's basically where you would have put Reagan, you would have put any strong man. But, like, now it's not it's not a critique anymore. Like, that's what all the Trump-trained people did. Like, and that's yeah. what all the alt-right people did. Like, it's no longer... Well, that, yeah, it's I mean that's what I've, what I've been saying. It's you know, and, and it's not. This isn't something that's um, isolated to Warhammer 40k. It's irony getting embraced on its face. You know, mm-hmm. Marines cheering on 
the uh, Ride of the Valkyries in uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, that sure. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and Warhammer 40K will probably survive this. I mean, it's a, it's a very oh, I strong it well, idea. Yes. <laughs> uh, it'll make it to the Apocalypse itself. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I look forward, because I, I, I have to edit a lot of stuff related to it now. You know, I look forward to, you know, reading more Tau stuff and reading more Eldar stuff and reading more um, shit about the Tyranids. Um, you know, any, anything that gets me away from the, you know, the tech gods. Yeah, because, sure. Yeah, Sick of thinking about Elon Musk. Yeah, well, and also, like, the, the Imperium of Man and that whole, you know, very medieval... Um, gun culture thing is what all the media that isn't the game focuses on. Like all the all the video games are about playing as a space marine, or you know, uh, playing as a squad of space marine in the Dawn of War games. Even uh, when it's not about playing as a space marine, it's usually about playing as chaos, which are just evil space marines. Right. Um, and there sure are some. There's like there's Vermintide, which is just yeah. like yeah. I mean, and that's just you know killing rats. Um, and I know people are gonna be like, oh, well, no, the chaos is, is much more um, complicated than just evil space marines. But it's the sort of, there it's, it's sort of like a Jedi and Sith relationship. They're just mm-hmm. these people with the limiters off. Okay, yeah. And uh, I like getting to the parts of the, the Warhammer 40k universe that aren't just the battle between restraint, monastic restraint, and, you know, decadence, which is what the fight between the humans and chaos and the elder is hmm. well that makes sense I mean I can certainly understand why you'd be kind of like a little bummed out by that stuff it's very very samey and it's like it, it kind of gets to the same stuff that we're all sick of already yeah I mean the people who love it um, you know they, they can tell great stories with it even even the chaos stuff even the space marine stuff you can do good things and good stories in those modes friend of the podcast ian uh is is a big fan of it uh, brock tune on twitter um very nice guy and a very very uh, smart guy was a big fan of warhammer and not a fascist but yeah i mean i think even even he would have to admit that there is like some baggage to be to be dealt with but yeah that's what i'm doing i'm editing some stuff for some friends and trying to get lines on better work and people don't need to hear me talk about this let's get this started i thought you were gonna say you're doing lines i was like no no i want you you to take care of your health i I don't have the money for that (laughs) that's good i mean that's the other thing i was gonna say you don't have money to spend on lines like why don't you just try something cheaper um okay yeah let's move on um well i'm glad you're keeping busy though that's good um i don't know i'm not glad you're keeping busy you just wish you had more work uh (laughs) I don't, I don't need you to be busy. Uh, so we have a couple of uh, more funny things to talk about this week. Uh, no one, if anyone was worried about John's blood pressure two weeks ago, um, it will. Uh, you'll be happy to know that we're talking about kind of lighter fare this week, except um, the serious stuff comes up in two of the things. Uh, so Do I guess want to I guess start with our new entry into Meltdown May. Uh, sure. You know, actually, I just realized this is like the one episode we've ever done that may actually uh, be useful for this. Uh, so if you're like made uncomfortable by discussions of people being like um, extremely terrible to, to disabled people or um, if you don't like talking about um, uh, basically sexual abuse, uh, not we're not going to get too hard into it. We aren't going to get too hard into it. But if that bums you out. Um, just 
to know that this is that's in here. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I did I did a trigger warning on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like all the I feel like Dave Rubin's going to be asking us to come on his show any day now, which yeah, is well, honestly this. very good press for us. <laughs> Um, okay, so first off, yeah, let's get into Meltdown. Let's get into the, the, the newest entry into Meltdown, May. Although, not quite the newest, because there no, was another YouTuber who... May continues, and it's... Boy, you know, it's been a big May already. Yeah. I mean, wow. This, is, this has been an interesting one. Uh, Pro Jared. Yes, uh, Pro Jared. The YouTuber with over a million subscribers. Not to be confused with Anti-Jared, his, uh, his bizarro counterpart who can only well, be no, banished yeah. to the... I mean, as opposed to pro and con Jared, this is professional Jared. Um, and, you know, I assume if you've been on Twitter and you're vaguely pl- plugged into games, you have you know a little bit about this story, at least. Um, yeah, I didn't know anything about the characters in it until it happened, but I, I mean, I was basically forced into learning about the story just because it's a, a crazy story. Yeah, basically he posted that he was getting divorced from his wife. And he Always a good thing to him. post that you're getting divorced from your wife. Andy, if Andy Richter taught us nothing. And he uh, then he blocked her on Twitter. And the <laughs> reason for the divorce and the blocking is that his wife discovered that he was having an affair with one of his co-workers. Um, the, uh, the ex-wife of a uh, member of the Game Grumps, unless I'm mistaken. The ex-wife of his best friend. Um, man, this is some which I mean, if you're going for value, stuff. like if you're going for how many people you can hurt as deeply as possible, yeah, start fucking your your best friend's wife. Because apparently, when the when the relationship started, um, she was still married. Oh boy! Um, anyway, not what you want to learn? None of that is really anyone's business except it used for to be themselves. <laughs> um, but it's related to another piece of news that came out about Pro Jared, which is that. He was operating a secret or delisted Tumblr account that he used to share nudes with his fans. Um, yeah, and the funny thing about this, right? And like, this is something that. So one of the thing, one of the things about the discourse around the divorce that really kind of weirded me out was the way that people talked about it. To um, what's the what's the woman's name? It's um, um, oh, I, I I had it here. I almost said Felicia because she sort of reminds me of Felicia Day's character in that in the Guild. I guess it is. Um, this is how much I know about D and D online. Um, but uh, she seems totally reasonable, and, and I, I think she comes out of this looking as good as she possibly could. But um, uh, Heidi O'Farrell. Yes, Heidi. Thank you. Um, someone was talking to her, and they were like, "Oh, do you think like you and Jared will ever get back together?" Because um, you know, like people, people are super invested in their YouTube relationships, and they want them to stay married or whatever. And, and she was basically like, um, "No," um, but but they kept asking, like, "Well, hypothetically, like, what what would you do?" And I think like one of the things that came up further when people were were talking about this was that one of the things she said about this secret unlisted Tumblr was that, "Yeah, look, um, I knew this was going on." I knew the unlisted Tumblr was there. I just thought it was really cool because it was like sex positive. Mm-hmm. And well, and that's that gets to part of this, which is that Jared's justification for swapping nudes with his fans. Uh, he'd you know he'd send pictures of his dick, they'd send back whatever they had. Um, was body positivity, which might be the most cynical, dipshit asshole use of social justice language. I, I've ever come across soliciting nudes from your followers for body positivity. 
it's pretty incredible. It's like it would basically be like if I was like, "Hey gang, um, you you all need to believe in what you're doing, which is why you need to send me money uh, because that helps me believe in what I'm doing. And in doing so, um, what you're doing is you're actually like redeeming yourself in a way. If yeah. you think about it. And I mean, at least that has Sucks. a history of working and being something that the American evangelical tradition actually does. <laughs> True. <laughs> Fair, fair enough. I mean, maybe, this I, maybe is, I should be trying this. This is Actually, just new innovation. I'm going to cut this part out. Uh, no one's going <laughs> to. But yeah, and of course, uh, eventually it came to light because there's only one reason that you run a unlisted Tumblr where you solicit nudes from your followers, and it was that he was grooming underage fans uh, and accepting uh, pictures and soliciting pictures from fans who were below the age of consent. And often, I mean, like, not not as if that needs any reason to be worse, but, like, often people who are in situations where, like, I mean, really bad situations. Like, I saw some people saying, like, I did this and I'm so sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I was in a I was in a mental hospital at the time or, like, I was I was in, like, an extremely bad place. And basically, like, Jared made me feel like Jared told me, like, it's OK. Like, you know, you'll get through this and made me feel really good about myself. And so, like, I thought it was OK. Like that. That's like. I don't know, like, it, it really is a, a the sort of, like, perfect instance of someone using their fame as, like, a, oh, hey, um, I'm allowed to do whatever I want, because I'm famous, yeah. and you'll probably be cool with it. Well, anytime someone tries to mix therapy and sex, you have to be immediately on your guard. Um, yeah. This body that's... positivity thing was obviously bullshit. Um, uh, O'Farrell, I believe, came out and said that her initial support of the Tumblr um, was in part because she just didn't want to uh, make waves with her husband. Yeah, um, sure. And that now she understands and, you know, she didn't at the time understand the power difference that's going on between a guy with, you know, a million followers on YouTube and a massive public platform and the guy who creates the content that these people love. Uh, and it's important. I mean, like, honestly... I can I can believe that that was true of her. Like, I don't know if that makes me a sucker yeah. or whatever, but I can believe that she thought that, if only because she's also like a content creator. And I think in a lot of ways, she probably just thought of her and her husband as like two people who had kind of a weird job. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, there. Whatever's going on between O'Farrell and uh, Jared and the other woman involved. You know, First that, name Pro, last name Jared. Yeah. That aspect of it all really isn't our business. No. Um, it's, I mean, it, they've opened it to speculation. By op- I mean, Jared in many ways has opened it to speculation. Who knows what Heidi would have done had had he not decided to post, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, in much the same way that, like, you know, everyone's like, uh, it's not anyone's business if Andy Richter got divorced from his wife because he responded too often to Brandy Jensen. It's like, well... He kind of opened it up. <laughs> there's a there's a part of it where like, and I mean I'm I'm friends with Brandy. I'm not trying to put her. I'm not trying to put her on the spot. But like, I think I don't think she would mind. But like the it isn't like it isn't like Andy and his wife didn't open themselves up to it. And in some ways it isn't like they they didn't open themselves up to people talking about it when they posted about their divorce online and like literally the most sensationalistic way possible. Yeah, I mean they're the fascinating thing about about the actual mechanics of this divorce is that it's been turned into content so easily. Correct. Um, and, and, and it and was I turned mean, into content by the people 
involved in the divorce. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the text file screenshotted? Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness. Like, I mean, it, and it, you feel like maybe they didn't... It, it, Maybe they didn't really have a choice but to turn it into content because that's their career. Can they can they exist without turning important things in their life into content when their brand is selling themselves? You know, uh, selling who they are, selling Probably not. No. I mean it's probably they have to do it. Like I, I can't I can't imagine that like the I can't imagine that like when, when they saw it they thought, Well, how can we keep this private? Like well, don't you did not do that. <laughs> don't you instantly ask yourself, like, how can I make this part of my brand? Like, how can I sort of pair this with work? If, if you are that, I think if you've become where you are, oh, yeah, we're pro Jared and Heidi, we're married. Like, and people know that, and that's part of our brand, then your divorce is necessarily part of your brand. Yeah, like, I that mean, that sucks I, to say, but I mean, it's sort of where we're at. I doubt they, you know, sat down separately. And we're like, now, how am I going to work this into my content strategy? It was, no, I don't think it, I, I think I think I think that's actually like it, it's interesting to imagine that. But like, I think that's giving far too much, uh, far too much. Um, I don't know, like leg, like uh, legibility to what is probably just like what feels like a far gone, foregone conclusion where you're yeah. just like, well, I make content. This is content. I guess this is my life now. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's describing intentionality to what is essentially a system. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're 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 stuck. Yeah, that's what you know. That's a lot of games. People have to do this personality based. Um, oh yeah, rigmarole. I know the giant bomb people have talked about it before. The way that they have to separate, try to separate who they are on camera uh, versus who they aren't. Uh, you know, who who they are as people and the strange weirdness that comes with people the inequality of knowledge where you know someone who's maybe watched giant bomb or something like giant bomb uh watch these personalities for 10 years knows a lot more about them than vice versa yeah sure life um but to make a living in this industry right now the way that it's set up i'm not sure how you um you do this without, you know, turning parts of yourself into the brand. And the way we opened this episode, I was talking about my fucking job search. Oh, yeah. I mean, my job search isn't actually relevant to the show, but I need, you know, it's something that allows me to portray myself a certain way. It allows me to connect, you know, to do humanizing uh, anecdotes, to make jokes. And, you know, before I know it, I've started putting my you know my personal business my literal business out there and if you're not careful that sort of stuff can eat you alive yeah i mean i'm certainly the last person to to criticize someone for you know making part of their lives a brand like that's a lot of what this podcast is and and necessarily so like i don't love that i don't love the fact that like people probably you know know i have like weird people that i've never met like know my family structure like that's weird yeah. um but that's what it is like yeah. in some ways that's just the world we're, we're we're born into if we want to make content or if we're left without any options but to make content yeah so you know this is gonna blow over in a week or two the you know for us it for won't us. blow over for them of yeah course. right their lives are altered forever but um that power relationship with uh, the con- the content creator versus the fan, and it is kind of a versus relationship at points. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not going to get better. 
uh, as this this particular sort of entertainment economy expands, and I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to stop, you know, this being the way that you make your living in games and pop culture adjacent entertainment. Like you, you have to create a version of yourself for consumption, and that's been true since for a long, long time, but uh, especially here in America since, you know, movie stars started popping up. Yeah, no, um, exactly. But I don't, I don't, you know, it's always going to be a weird relationship, and I don't think this is going to be the last streamer who falls. And it's funny because it seems like these top streamer jobs, like, self-select for the guys who are always going to do the stupidest possible thing, yeah. that they can get away with in a situation. It's weird with, you know, PewDiePie and and Pro Jared and uh, Travis Wu, if you've play, paid attention to. I, I think he's, he was a magic for a while. Okay. Um, I mean, it just feels like, it feels like you you have to be an exhibitionist and you have to be an exhibitionist who is very, very committed to, you have to be very committed to the idea that you yourself are worth sitting down and watching. Like, for the podcast, for instance, like I am committed to the idea that, you know, I talk to people or I give information or I give takes on things that are worth listening to. I don't expect people to watch the stream because all it is is me talking. And that like to to imagine that anyone would care to me seems like total craziness. Um, but like that's why I'll never be a and I don't mind. But that's why I'll never be a successful streamer. I yeah. in order to be a successful streamer, you truly do need to believe that people absolutely care about you you personally what you are doing and i think if you believe that then you have a bit of the center of the universe to yourself that um is going to make you do this kind of stuff and there's and the the way that you have to focus on streaming as a job to succeed at it reinforces that sort of monomania yeah absolutely be you know basically alone until you become a big streamer it's, you're basically alone with this construct of yourself for you know three hours a day in two sessions or six hours a day in one session, um, interacting with people in your channel, but also refining what you present to them on the camera. Right. And it's one of the reasons I've never gotten to streaming. Um, I only use streaming because it helps me finish games. And I've said this on stream, but like I only will use streaming because it helps me finish games. And I, I need I need some sort of like um, push to do that sometimes. Um, but like we and we should move on to the next topic. But like it's what uh, Shannon Strucci, uh, who I talked to on the podcast a few day, a few episodes back, um, she calls it. Uh, well, it's not her specific term but she talks about parasocial relationships and the ideas behind para, the idea behind like a parasocial relationship being like yeah i i spend so much time with uh with ninja or i spend so much time with pro jared or in this case like i've i've spent so much time like caring about pro jared and heidi's life that um i feel on some level like i am as entitled to their happiness being consistent as like their families Right, like it, it reminds me of like how I felt when like I was rooting for uh, like Mary Jane and Peter to get back together in Spider-Man comics. <laughs> it's just like these are real people, but you treat them as if like they're characters that you just happen to like know yeah, casually because that's how they're presented. Right, exactly. Um, so I mean, it's it's um, it's scary to think about how this will continue. 
um, the ways in which we'll just get more of this. Because uh, I, I, obviously we will. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's also... It's not as if, like, you know... Uh, Hinkley... Was it was it Hinkley who shot Ronald Reagan because he thought Jodie Foster would want it? Are you sure that wasn't Sirhan Sirhan? Yeah, that was Sirhan Sirhan. No, Sirhan Sirhan uh, shot uh, RFK. Okay, maybe it was. Uh, Hinkley, yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, in any case, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not totally new, right? Like this yeah. isn't this is a this is a a pattern that we have with our celebrities, such as they are, no matter what the the time period. And yeah. I think like. It's important to remember that streamers and, and these people are now our, our celebrities. And so, like, it's not so crazy to imagine that, like, this is in continuity with and not some sort of aberration from the past. Yeah. And it's and to draw it back to what we started the topic on with Jared and his Tumblr, it, it's very easy to say, oh, you, you need to just treat them as characters. You need to treat them as fictional properties not you and you need to forget that you or, or or not think that you have any insight into who they are as people but then if the streamer comes in and starts doing like exchanging nudes yeah. that sort of intimacy like that is you know an abuse of that relationship because immediately and, what your audience is going to think is oh they're they want to be friends with me like they yeah. I'm special to them and unless right. you're like really willing to Unless that's real, like unless you do want to be friends with them, or in the case of sending nudes, I don't know if there's ever a, like an honest way to do that. But like, I mean, unless you seriously are pursuing a relationship with these people, basically, yeah. like it is irresponsible. Especially when we're talking about children, which is what we're talking about. Yes, when, absolutely. Which is what his the Tumblr was really there for. Um, yeah, it's 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 really bad. Um, what what he did is really bad. I think I think unequivocally, um, you know, uh, yes, the the whole drama is kind of interesting or funny or whatever. But like, as a friend of mine was saying, like, it's hard to laugh at these pro Jared jokes now that we know about the the, the grooming. And it is yeah. like it, it it's much harder um, to kind of just think about it as a joke. And it, this is one of these things that the way our society exists, there's not going to be any real punishment, for, like no legal punishment. Oh gosh, no, no, no. no. You can vote with your dollars, but, you know, once the moment passes, once the meme's gone, if he still keeps up the work, I'm sure he'll get back to a million subscribers. Yeah. Um, and I mean, PewDiePie didn't miss a beat. Yeah, um, no, he's... Uh, I mean, Ninja yeah. missed even less of a beat. Yeah. When oh, he I said didn't. the N-word, it's like, he was yeah. just like, oops, it was, a, it was a rap song that I made up. And people were like, oh, who, who, hasn't, who hasn't done that on stream? Who among yeah. us? But All yeah. right. <laughs> Good times. Uh, meet back here in two weeks for the next guys. Uh, who, who does a rise. terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's do one of our lighter topics. Uh, it looks like uh, we're going to get some... Looks like we're going to get some Final Fantasy VII stuff, buddy. Yeah. You excited? Sort of. Um, <laughs> what, what's your... Because I think we're, we're the same age, right? Effectively, really, yeah. Yeah. So, what is your where? What is Final Fantasy VII to you as a touchstone? It's an important touchstone. I mean, I so it's an important touchstone for me because it was the first RPG that like I wanted like a new system for. Mm-hmm. Like my first RPG that I really cared about was Chrono Trigger, and before that, maybe like The Secret of Evermore and The Legend of Gaia and stuff like that. Like I, I like some of those like weird uh, old SNES RPGs. 
uh, Crystalis, the the NES game, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, games like that, but I mean, in terms, so by the time Final Fantasy VII came out, um, I wasn't a big Final Fantasy six uh, guy. Like, it, yeah. so that that had nothing for me. But like, by the time Final Fantasy VII came out, it was sort of like, well, um, I like RPGs. That's just like a thing I like. Um, so. I'm going to enjoy these RPGs. <laughs> and uh, I remember reading about Final Fantasy VII, looking at, like, getting sort of a video demo of it and just being super into it. Like, just, like, really excited about it. And playing it, I played a ton of it on PlayStation. It was really sort of, like, I would say, for me, it was the reason I got a PlayStation and it was my, my first entry into next-generation gaming. Nice. I'm in a weirder place because uh, growing up, my household was an N64 household. And I don't say a Nintendo household, I say an N64 household. We did not have a system before the Nintendo 64. My parents bought the Nintendo 64, judged that this was the only console that they needed to spend money on for their three children because why would they need another one? And obviously, they were. They were, uh, they were totally correct. Them, yeah. Um, History has absolved the Bernhards. And so from about wow, 1990, what was the, the N64 release? 96, 97? I forget. That was a, I, it was before the PlayStation because yeah. I, I had that in my, in my old childhood house before we moved. Um, 96. Late 96. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. Um, and so I missed out on the PS1 era, basically. Uh, I, I'd go and play it at, you know, I'd be able to play it at friends' houses. Right. But a friend's house isn't the, you know, the way you want to experience Final Fantasy VII or no, any of that not stuff. Really. You, want, you want to be able to play that in stretches of three to four hours by yourself. Yeah, so you exp- you you kind of enjoyed, like, Twisted Metal and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like the games where you could just, like, play them. Yeah. And that, it's sort of like, metal, metal, this is fun. Metal Gear Solid I yeah. got introduced to there. Metal um, Gear Solid's a good one for, for stretches of time. Yeah, for sure. The, the guy, the friend of mine who had the PlayStation was really into survival horror, so I saw Silent Hill okay, for cool. the first time that way. But I didn't get to experience the... PlayStation Final Fantasies, and I didn't have any experience with Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VI at all, okay. uh, because the that previous era, we just didn't have a video game console in the house, and when I would go over to somebody else's house who had an SNES, I only had one friend with an SNES, and he liked Donkey Kong. Um, well, who can blame him? That's a good yeah. game. And, st- and the Star Trek game. There was a Star Trek Next Generation game. For okay, wait, SNES. that's that's a little less defensible, but okay. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it was like you, you controlled the Enterprise, and we were very bad at it. Well, yeah, I think it probably was a bad game. Almost certainly, but we died to the Romulans a lot. Uh, But yeah, so uh, I got a PlayStation 1 for the first time in high school when, you know, I'd worked a job long enough that I could actually go and buy one. Right. Um, So when I experienced these RPGs for the first time, I was, you know, in 10th or 11th grade. Uh, That's like 2002, 2003. Um, And I'm playing it on this little, you know, 15-inch Toshiba thing that cost you know 120 dollars at most um sick <laughs> and i played final fantasy 7 third i played ff9 first i oh, played and then i went to chrono cross um we don't right which you which we all know you are a big fan of yeah we, we could i, I don't want to get diverted onto why i'm so much more of a fan of chrono cross than chrono trigger we've literally I, I think we've literally talked about it on this podcast we have yeah uh, i believe we had a brief chrono trigger chrono cross discussion uh um, but yeah, I, a huge Chrono Cross fan, and I played FF9, Chrono Cross, FF8, 
and then FF7. So I, I went backwards from the developments, from the the best looking PlayStation One Final Fantasies. Okay, yeah, that's one. that's a little strange. So probably seven didn't grab you very much. No, it, it holds very little reverence for me um, culturally, uh, just because of the accident of how I came to it. Sure. Um, no, I mean, who could blame you? But it, I still it does not look nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I still paid enough attention to it and remember enough about it to know that that trailer didn't feature a single scene outside of the first 20 minutes of the game. Yep, that's right. Um, but what's also funny about FF7 is I think like a lot of the things people like are from those first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, not that not that there's stuff that people, you know, people like Kate Sith, people like Red 13, yeah, there's, there's I all mean, sorts there's, of there's stuff. There's a couple, right? there's, there's moments. There's the Midgar stuff, there's the Sid stuff when you meet Sid for the first time. Yeah, that's fine. There's uh, Kate Sith, Sith at the Golden Saucer. Oh, um, yeah, people love people love Chocobo racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's pe- Valentine at his weird, stupid... Golf. Oh, yeah, his Dracula Castle? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there there's moments like that, and, and, and frankly, at this point, it's just compressed to those moments for me. I know that there's... Intellectually, I know there's an overworld and there's a bunch of stuff with the Turks and all that other crap. Like, I don't even really re- remember anything that has to do with Rufus or the Turks past Midgar. There's I not know much. Happens. Uh, I know they die at some point. Um, I know some people die at some point related to them. But, you know, it, the, it, for me, the least important part of Final Fantasy VII <laughs> is the Sephiroth Cloud Tifa Triangle. Which, or you mean Eris? No, no, I mean Tifa. They were back at the, at the hometown, right? That Cloud, which was Zack, and Tifa came from. Oh, the same yeah, town. okay, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were talking about like the the emotive uh, triad that gamers yeah. So, uh, yeah, so care about. Uh, which, beyond even beyond that, I, I just have no like. I look at Eris or Aerith or whatever, and I feel nothing. That yeah, you know that's to me. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be like frustrating for people to hear this because I'm. I'm not that. I never found that to be like a particularly like devastating moment in gaming. Mm-hmm. It didn't really, and I I don't think I was spoiled to it. I think like I just kind of was just like, oh no, he killed Eris. That's a shame. I think like the part of the reason is because if you played, um, if you played like any Square RPG prior to that, and a lot of people hadn't, so maybe this was it. But like if you played any Square RPG prior to that, it was like, yeah, they do this. They kill off characters sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like they did in they did in Chrono Trigger. You lost uh, well, depending on what you did, uh, you lost various characters. Um, uh, you could lose you could lose. I forget who you could lose in that game, but like people would die. Yeah, I mean to play up. to play a sort of devil's advocate to it, though. I believe this was the first time they've done it. They did it with a love interest, and it was not something you could avoid. You can't you couldn't go to Game Facts and look up a strategy to save Aerith. Well, and no, I think sure. For a lot of you know early teenage boys you know that was it's sad. understandable that the character's love interest gets fucking murdered it's a um, shame they killed people's waifu i will agree yeah. and you know and I, and I think i just i came to it too late for that to for that yeah. to be a thing like for me the the emotional resonance of a of a the ps1 rpg era is the orphanage with kid at the end of chrono cross which is much harder to explain than Aerith just getting ganked with a sword and involves sure. time travel. Yeah, right. But, you know, it, it, you basically have to go back in time and save... Uh, Luca gets killed. 
um, okay. in that in that scene. And you have to go back in time and, and save her. Basically, you're going into her memories of the day that Luca died and the orphanage was burned down by the game's big villain. And you sort of have to be like a therapy doll for her. Yikes. Um, and, and, you know, it is it is done with as much subtlety as you'd expect a <laughs> PlayStation 1 RPG to do that sort of thing. But, <laughs> sure. but when you're, you know, 13, 12 or 13 years old, that's still kind of affecting Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I think, like, I mean, I don't begrudge anyone who found the Eris thing uh, effective. And honestly, like, I was surprised at how much them making her look more human made me like, oh, geez, like, that might actually make me more sad this time. But Her hair still confuses me. Yeah. Uh, how did, I mean, that's a lot of product on those bangs. Listen, it is a, it is more of the, one of those more mechanical Final Fantasies. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a... Uh, there's an Esther. Uh, there's an Esper for that. Yep. Um, wrong game. Uh, but but the yeah no I mean like I I will say watching the Final Fantasy trailer hit the right nostalgia points for me and maybe that maybe that's more about like where I'm at with this than you are but like or like maybe that's about the difference but like I did remember certain things I remembered the bit where you have to dress uh, Cloud up as a girl and like can, and that was pretty oh, interesting. Oh, that is I am. I am both looking forward to and very much not looking forward to how they handle that in 2020 or whenever that's... They kind of did, like, they didn't do a horrible job with it in in, in Final Fantasy VII, as I recall. It's been a long time. And, I mean, I'm sure I was not especially sensitive to any sort of trans issues back then. I don't remember them doing a particularly good job of it. I mean, someone will have to tell me. But, like... I do remember that part being like a fun, a fun like hunt and hunt and gather mission, basically. Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, the gameplay was fine, um, and I, at that point, it was just kind of. I mean, what did I know about politics? At that annoying point? slash unsettling and not offensive, but I mean, it, it, it given the politics around Gerudo Link in in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen, I don't. I, Frankly, I just take that shit out of the remake. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, at least it's not, I guess, like, on some level, at least it's not, like, Atlas doing it, right? Like, there are some <laughs> companies that you truly, truly can expect nothing but, like, the worst hell. I mean, um, it's not like Square is is some great paragon well, here. No, but they're better than Atlas, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like they, I, they No, they've merely not been given the opportunity to, deter, to show that they're as bad as Atlas. Mm, fair enough. I mean, they could very well be as bad as Atlas. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it just seems it doesn't like that the Don Corneo stuff or Corneo or whatever his name is. It doesn't add to the plot. It's oh, it certainly does not. It's not a funny side. It's not. It's not a funny joke in 2019 or 2020. It, it's nothing but busy work in the game itself. It's like a side quest. It's a forced side quest. Um, you need to go through his, you know, brothel or whatever just to complete a. You basically you just know, to get to the next part of the map. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a, feels like sort of a lost uh, Fallout mission or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it, yeah. It just there's no reason to wander down that road unless you have a very clear idea of what you want to do, and I am not certain that they will have a very clear idea of what they want to do. On yeah, that. I think that's probably very fair to say. It's not as if, like, they are particular... I don't know, especially in remakes. It's not like mm-hmm. we can imagine that they have, like, the absolute best intentions at heart. And, you know, I guess trans issues in video games are not 
generally, I won't say ever because I think The Missing did a great job, but like, I mean, not that I'm the one to say, but I also have trans friends who thinks that, but like, mm. you know, the, I won't say that games have a particular shining history with the, with the yeah, transitions. Yeah, well, I mean, so. the thing is that uh, Cloud isn't trans. Right, yeah. <laughs> but there's, but like, that's the... Uh, and no trans person is almost certainly is going to be involved in making that that game. Well, so the problem with it, it, Cloud isn't trans, but like the the dynamic of talking about like this scene without making without like making jokes about oh yeah, look, it's a woman in it's a man in woman's clothing. Like how weird. Like that that is something that's going to be transphobic. Not well, I like, mean, the problem it's not even how weird. It's it was an explicit rape peril. That's I don't the whole that joke is that Cloud is going to have to sleep with Don Corneo. Oh yeah, right. Like it's and he, you just, I would I would cut that entirely. I think I think probably you're safe to do that. I mean, is there like I guess like, I will play it and I will be excited mm-hmm. to play it. There's something about the Final Fantasy VII mythos that's very interesting to me. But I did catch myself thinking like, I hope in this iteration of the game, they um, they do a better job uh, with the plot. Because, like, mm-hmm. the plot is incoherent in Final Fantasy VII. And people have spent a long time being very committed to Eris and being very committed to Tifa and Barrett. And, like, you're right. Looking back on a lot of that stuff, it is not particularly relevant to 2019 or 2020. And also, it uh, like, the Cloud Zack stuff makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, well, what, what can you change, though? How how, do you, can, how can you fix that? Well, it's like, like even, actually even tell going the story. Into fanfic mode. Well, I mean, no, but the story is that Cloud is stealing valor. Well, um, fine, and he's not that's, Cloud. That's um, not that's not a bad story. But like the story about Zach and Sephiroth and Cloud made. I mean, it it like as told, it made no sense. Right. And I like mean, sense is a different thing than a good story. Like you can you can change the sense of a thing, and it can be like all right, like. You know, we've we've made it actually like read better by like adapting the script a little bit. Yeah. Actually, that's all I want. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's much you can do with because with with the plot as it stands, because it is very important to the plot that Zack is the hero and Cloud is an imitation thereof, and also that Sephiroth figures out his parentage in a very traumatic way and destroys the entire village that he Cloud and. Uh, uh, Tifa come from. Well, you think there's you think there's no way to make that like an interesting story. You think it has to well, be convoluted. You could put you could make Cloud Zack. I mean, that's what you could do. You could just collapse the two characters together. Yeah, why not? Who's going to care if Zack gets cut out? Well, then you then because because then we're we're working an amnesia plotline because it's a huge thing that Cloud doesn't remember being you know all this previous stuff and that his flashback of Tifa and Sephiroth and everybody at the town when they reach it is like an intrusive traumatic memory well why not just do why not just do a Mad Men thing then like they did it with with uh with um Dick Don Draper right or like mm-hmm. that I mean that whole thing was was basically a stolen valor taking another man's life yeah. slow reveal like why can't we do it why couldn't we do it in the Final well, Fantasy world you have to if you want to do that you have to commit to cloud knowing more than the player yeah that's why not? the way they, that well fair enough but that's <laughs> the reason they did it that way the first time is so that cloud had as much important setting knowledge and plot knowledge as the player had when you picked up the controller and started the game 
Um, and that's why they go, they jump through so many hoops with Zack and his, you know, forgetfulness and, you know, the flashbacks and all that stuff to get there. Like, uh, Tifa is constantly referencing stuff that you just don't understand, Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the first, like, half of the game. And not only do you not understand it, Cloud doesn't understand that. But the thing is, like, games have come a long way. So here's the mm -hmm. other thing, right? Like... I, I don't know if we did a good job with the trans issues talk, and probably we didn't, and like that's to be expected. We're two cis guys, but like yep. the the I will say like in much the same way that you can look at it and be like, my childhood brain remembers this being fun, and then you think through the plotline, you're like, actually, it's offensive and terrifying and like not good. Um, yeah, the same way with the plot. Like I feel like games have changed and. Like the ways that games tell stories have changed, so you don't need you don't actually need to have a protagonist that is uh, you don't have to have like the blind protagonist anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was absolutely what you needed in whenever Final Fantasy VII came out. Like they wouldn't want to you wouldn't want an RPG where the protagonist was like in on something. We hadn't we hadn't had like weirdo RPG plots that really landed um, like we have now. I mean, you know, there's a million RPGs where it's like. You know, you've been led down the wrong path this whole RPG, and and now you're finding out. But someone in your party always knew, or whatever, right? Like, yeah. and perhaps like the protagonist always knew. I think that's fine to do now. And like, if they're gonna get beyond something like at like Advent Children was a, a failure, mm-hmm. um, and the reason Advent Children was a failure as as I guess an anime <laughs> was because it like it just focused on the Final Fantasy VII plot. Like, recognize that the plot didn't work entirely. There were parts that you want to save, and save those parts. Yeah, I mean, but let's say you do change the plot. Are you remaking Final Fantasy VII? Yeah. Or are you making a new game? Well, who cares? I like this is the distinction that I don't really get. Like, why would anyone really mind one way or the other? Not, you get uh, more Final Fantasy VII with the characters you want. What do you, What do you care? Well, I mean, but they're not the characters you want if you change all that stuff. I, I the thing is, they're going to run into these barricades no matter what they do. Yeah, and it's a very, very weird. Like, I don't think that you can really expect a company to always pull it off the way Capcom has pulled it off with RE2. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they did a shot-for-shot remake, effectively. No, they didn't. I mean, there there are differences to those games and those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the the changes they made were intelligent changes. Uh, with, you know, the guy in the gun shop, for instance, and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, that right. stuff is all new. Well, not all new. He uh, referenced his daughter uh, originally in the in the first game, but you never saw her actually turning into a zombie as a, like, nine-year-old child or whatever. Right. And that was a good change. Um, and I think that they can pull off the remake still. I mean, and it, there have been so many bad signs about this this remake. From it's been in development for four years. They rebooted it two years ago. I mean, that's it's, the thing that I, I I was of the people that thought it would just never see the light of day. Like yeah. I was like, why are we still pretending like this is the thing that Square's going to do? It's episodic, um, which means it'll, it'll be releasing in parts. There might not be an overworld. Um, Ugh, that would be bad. That was, you know, that was, that's one of the more unconfirmed things. I mean, we're going to get more information at E3. Uh, I believe the teaser itself from Sony said that uh, there's going to be more information in June as well. Yeah. Um, 
So I mean, I'm cautiously looking forward to it mainly because I want to see what they do. Mm-hmm. But I'm counting my blessings that I don't have any real emotional attachment to it the way that I would have an emotional attachment if they decided to remake Chrono Cross. I think anymore I don't have an emotional attachment to old games like that. I I kind of, and I don't know why, like I should mm-hmm. have some emotional attachment to some game that they'd remake, but honestly at all, like I remember, maybe if they remade Xenogears, maybe then, like that might that might get me, but um, I don't know, Final Fantasy VII was a big, I spent a ton of time playing it, it was huge, and all my friends talked about it, it was the first sort of social game event that I had, but um, it's okay if they remake it and make it better, like I recognize that it's kind of a flawed game. Yeah. I mean, it's going to have Final Fantasy XV combat, so... Good. Enjoy. <laughs> it's better than Final... Final Fantasy VII, like, combat was... I mean, it was just like most... Uh, I don't know, most RPGs that are did have samey combat. Yeah, I feel like we I need mean, to accept these things about our our, fa- our old favorites. It's a personal preference. I thought Final Fantasy XV's combat was floaty, disjointed, and no fun to play. Mm, fair enough. Um, so, I mean, they, they could do it it would be interesting if they did it with a turn-based mode and an active time mode. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, yeah, it sounds like they're not going to want to put that much work into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they're four years in already. They've sort of, you know, they're in for a penny, in for a pound. Uh, but it's also free... I mean, we should move on to the next topic, but also free money. Like, I mean, yeah. people are just going to buy this game. Like, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to advertise it. You don't even have to make a good remake. People will buy this game. Well, I mean you're going to be at the mercy of word of mouth. A lot of people are going to buy it, and then a lot of people are going to make the decision whether to buy it off of the people who bought it. Right, yep. Um, And it's one of those things where you could have a great first week and then bomb. And that's just how it goes. I mean, if you make it the wrong way, that that might be what happens. Early prediction, before we move on to the next topic, this is going to be a game that um, gets a lot of discussion about... uh, SJWs. I think I think the the fear of an SJW or like SJWs are poisoning this product or this product run out or whatever. I think that will absolutely come up. Yeah, uh, we thankfully I don't I don't think the FF7 trailer had any shots of Tifa. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Okay. I already saw so, someone saying like I don't want politics in my games. And then someone drew a muscular Tifa and they were like, see, just like this. Yeah. There's gonna be we're gonna have a couple weeks of. Real bad times about her cup size. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, one way mm-hmm. or the other. That's correct. And um, that's just how it's going to be. Can't wait. All right. So um, here's a game that we don't have any emotional relevant or uh, any emotional reference to. Rage Two. <laughs> Excited about Rage Two, John? No. Yeah. I don't um, it. I was. I was tepidly excited when I uh, cautiously excited when the trailers came out and it looked like they were sort of trying to put Doom 2016 combat in an open world uh, arena and have a, a aesthetic and a world that, you know, sort of split the difference between Borderland and Fallout. And now that I've watched about an hour and a half of review footage, uh, I have very little interest in playing it. I, I, was, I was tepidly excited when I learned that it was an 11-hour game. I like I like short games. I think yeah. that's that's cool when, when when places make short games. I think it's brave of them because they're obviously going to get crappy feedback from people who just 
don't have anything else to do. I mean, but, Rage One was an eleven-hour game, so and it, it got so great, it got great reviews. Everyone loved it, right? It was, uh, a, yeah, <laughs> nice tech demo. Uh, but yeah, like I think, I don't know. I don't. I I I would find it, and and this is even without this particular bit of news that we're going to talk about. I would find it like difficult to care. Well, like why why I, I just like I don't see the reason to care. I mean I guess it's Bethesda and I guess, you know, Doom twenty sixteen was really good. Well and Bethesda, Bethesda was involved and Yeah, I don't Bethesda's know. had a very decent track record recently of publishing other studios good games. Yeah. Um, you know, Doom two thousand sixteen, the Wolfenstein games, the uh Prey, um yeah. you know, they they had this, the Dishonored series. They've done good things in the first-person space for about three years now, uh, if you put Fallout 76 aside. Um, I will not. Yeah, I mean, but in terms of whoever's making the decision to publish this stuff, generally they're doing a good job. And this doesn't look like a bad game, per se. It looks like a mediocre game. It looks, it looks like a game that was made by the guys who made the Mad Max game. And um, it also looks like a game where they're just going to be edgy, to be edgy. And this is where this is where the most recent news comes out. So, um, I guess like way early on in the dev cycle, um, s- someone from uh, Chris Plant. Yeah, thank from, you. Uh, Polygon. Yeah, someone from Polygon. I, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. He's a good writer. I like him. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he wrote he wrote a, a piece on how um, basically the the sort of like main mutant in the game is uh, is marked off as as a mutant because he has a, a, a cleft palate. Um, and he said, like, you know, I had a cleft. I like that's that's something that I dealt with as a kid. I had a cleft palate, and I had to get surgery for it and stuff. And um, it sucks that this game makes me feel like uh, one of the bad guys. Uh, and there's basically like he talked to the creator and said, like, have you guys thought about this? Like, I'm sure you you do a lot of thinking about the the monster design and all. Like, I I, I don't doubt that you do, but. Maybe you know. Maybe think about this a little bit. It kind of like it's it's not great for for players with this disability to feel like you are calling us like bad people. Um, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know what? I totally will think about that." Yeah, Plant um, brought this up at E three two thousand eighteen. Okay, yeah. Um, and he had and like he had basically a, a private conference with this dude. Like he had a, he had a he had a lot of access yeah. to him. Um, and was able to talk to him and, and say this to him, and uh, and he thought, at least in the current article, it seems like he was optimistic that they might make a change. And well, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm reading the the old article from from June 2018, and the the transcript has Tim Willits, the guy from um, whatever studio made this. I'm blanking on it. Avalanche. Thanks. Um, has you know he he uh, plant presents his concerns will it seems concerned and says he'll talk to the guys about it and you know and then nothing changed <laughs> yeah and then he yeah and and Planch basically like he basically says like this is what's so frustrating about it is like he said he would talk to them and it sounded like he really like would and then cl- mm-hmm. either either the conversation was like n- a bad conversation or it never happened and like I think we all know it never happened like I think I think yeah. if there was a conversation, they were probably like, "Hey guys, we might get some blowback because of this." Because some like people care, or like, I don't know. Like some some guy was talking to me about this. Whatever. I as much as I hate to be fair in this situation, the conversation did happen June two thousand eighteen. The game releases May two thousand nineteen. They could just be, have been locked in. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, uh, but like, uh, so 
Plants points out something in the article though, where like the the one thing about it is like. Yeah, okay, I get it. Like, your main... He said, they're locked into their main guys. Like, mm-hmm. one of the things that they were giving away was, like, a Billy like Billy Bass-style, like, singing wall mount thing. And it, it was one of the mutant heads. And it's like, okay, you're locked in at that point. You're not going to change that. You're not going to change the designs. But one of the things in the club was, like, oh, you know, we have these mutants whose heads are on spikes on the walls, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, okay, that's, it's a funny joke, right? Like with, it's basically like, uh, like, uh, deer heads or whatever, but they're all like the, the, like extremely, like obviously marked cleft palate mutants. And yeah. Planche's point was like this, like, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but this does not seem hard to take out of the game at this point. Like, it seems like you could take this out of the game. Mm-hmm. This seems like just an asset you could remove. And, you know, I don't want to say the conversation didn't happen. I mean... I'm sure they were locked in for a lot of this stuff, but I'm going to bet that if the conversation did happen, they did a cost-benefit on how many people with cleft palates they think there are. That oh, yeah, 100%. And they were like, we're not going to feel the blowback from this. Right, yeah, of course. You know, So they didn't come out and say it to Plant, and they're not going to come out and say it now, but they found this a situation where the concerns were ignorable because the concerned audience was small enough and look like are they wrong uh, from like a capitalist perspective probably not if they feel a blowback from this at all in their profits it will be because the game is bad yeah. um it probably will not be because people are mad at them for for like being like ableist jerks yeah. uh you know that's just how it is but it does suck to like to have a game like this so kind of like transparently look look like a cash grab from the from the start like oh yeah we don't really care what you guys think like we don't care if you're if you're offended or whatever like this is rage man like and i mean it's hard to single them out when you've got borderlands over there doing the shit that they do with uh oh shit what's claptrap or no uh fuck is the good i don't want to say dwarves but small people okay uh yeah um yeah and where they turn them into like little like kids slash psychos Mm -hmm. um you know there's a lot of if the successful games working in that space have already been working that sort of distorted ableist uh yeah, you know what? Uh, these people have something wrong with their bodies. Thing. Well, and I was saying, and, I was saying to a buddy of mine, like, it's not. People are going to have the conversation about this, and it's not going to be like, you know, it, the conversation is going to be something like, oh, well, like, you know, okay, so what are they supposed to do? Like, how do you depict mutants then? And the answer, the answer is going to be the like the question is going to be like, well, what should they do? Like, how else would you expect them to do it instead of just saying like. Maybe we should just like not do the whole mutants thing anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, what it comes down to is you you have to, when you refine the question uh, down to its base, you sort of come to the conclusion that we probably shouldn't have games where you just shoot people a lot for you know because they're on Team Red. I mean, th- that is what the basis of the game is. You need to create an other, or so literally okay. have them sh- be shot because they're on Team Red or Team Blue. Like this yeah. is like. This is why Siege works, because, like, you're just shooting them because they're the other team. Like, mm-hmm. all and the problems Siege has, like, and it has quite a few, but, like, 
of all the problems Siege has, like the politics of who you're shooting are not one of them. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that the gameplay loop of the shooters is just so good that uh, it we're addicted to it. As consumers, right. as games makers, the idea of one person with a gun getting rid of, uh, you know, 20, 30 other people who are trying to destroy them because uh, it's as much of a puzzle as it is anything else. I mean, you could change it to being a paintball if you wanted, but you'd lose, like, like, their aesthetics are important in terms of driving sales. If they weren't, then Game of Thrones would not have eight <laughs> seasons. Um, um, no, that's true. But I guess, like, my, my question is, like, then why not, why not do, like, the serious Samurai? Why not just make them, like, extremely non-human monsters? Well, like, I guess my response to that is how successful is Serious Sam as a franchise right now? Pretty successful. I mean, it had a lot of, had some good, had some good recent recent success. I would say. I don't know. Was, I feel like Doom twenty sixteen is like just a an iteration of something like Serious Sam meets Doom. Okay, well, that, I mean, that's a li- if we're going to count the Doom games as Serious Sam games. I mean, I don't think I don't think they are Serious Sam games. I'm not trying to change. I'm not trying to move yeah, the, I mean, the goalposts I mean, that much. But like what I'm saying still is people. In a lot of those, in, in, I mean, it's a it's a big part of Doom 2016 that you are killing people. They're just demons. But they don't they aren't recognizable as people. Like okay, fine. Like it, within the lore of the game and the plot of the game, you're absolutely correct. But like, are they recognizable as that at any point? Like not really. Oh, aren't the basic enemies zombies? Yeah, but they're like they're so deeply skeletal. I mean, that's and, the thing, right? Like you just you make it. You, right. You, you have to change them. Yeah, you and go towards the uncanny. You don't go towards the, you don't go towards like the the idea that like oh these are different humans. It's just that these are humans that have been like taken down to their component parts on some mm-hmm. level. And, and like as much as I complain about zombie stuff, like maybe that maybe that's okay. Maybe it's fine to have zombie stuff. Then I don't know. Well, I'm not going to go that far. I, you know my feelings on zombies. Well, I don't like it either. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's there are ways to approach it. The demon way is one way. The zombie way is another way. The mutated, the radiation mutation way is going to land you in these sorts of things a lot. Mm-hmm. And if that's the choice that you're going to make, I mean, you'd hope that at least you'd be honest to Chris Plant about it. Yeah, yeah, that's also, that's also fair. Like, if, if you really think that it's going to be... Like, you're, if you really think, like, okay this is really going to be good for our viewers. They're going to like this and we're going to sell a lot of games. And that's what matters to you. Like tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand why you not want to tell the truth <laughs> to Chris plant who writes for polygon, one of the most successful video game news sources on the internet. Um, I understand why you'd obfuscate as much as possible. And then, yeah, until the game itself was out, but that doesn't make it less of a bullshit move. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Okay, so two things. Uh, actually, you do the pivot because both of these could be towards bullshit moves, our last two topics. All right, let's see here. Uh, I love, I, I've discussed on this podcast before, I believe, uh, and if not here, I've discussed on my Twitter feed at length how much I love bad song covers in, in trailers. You know, I think you have, yeah. I have. I, the, my, my platonic ideal, the, the, the white whale that I'm chasing is a sad minor key piano slow ominous cover of mambo number five (laughs) sung by a you know a random piano waif i would love that um 
over a, like a serial killer movie trailer. <laughs> that that is what that is called that the is, dancer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, each each time they sing the name, that's that's another one of the victims. That's sort of dumb bullshit. I, it, it's amazing. And uh, the trailer for Ghost Recon Breakpoint dropped. Um, and if you were wondering if this Ghost week. Recon looked any different than the other Ghost Recons, great news, it does not. Yeah, it's the sequel to Wildlands. Um, they're no longer in Bolivia because Bolivia is currently suing them. What? But why? Uh, yeah, possibly because they implied it was a cartel-run state where it was okay to just shoot everyone. But who mm. can say? So at this point, um, the the breakpoint uh, team, so the Ghost Recon team, is going off to sit an unnamed island where they're going to fight um, John Bernthal's villain. Like the big the big thing about this is that John Bernthal is playing the villain, um, the Punisher. You know, he's he's been on other stuff. I think he was on The Walking Dead. Um, the big punish himself. Yeah, and he is also a ghost so it's like ghost on ghost violence the weird thing is the setup for the game is like metal gear the original metal gear it is exactly like metal and it's actually you know what like in a lot of ways it's like all of the metal gears um except without like the second i assume it's not going to have the second act turn yeah i I assume probably not yeah (laughs) i doubt it's going to have any like narrative depth i would be very surprised yeah um, especially since it's going to be like an always online thing that you can hide. Like the Wildlands was a very mindless game um, about murdering Bolivians. And I don't, I would suspect that this Ubisoft game is going to be in a similar vein, especially because they keep talking about how, oh, we're not political. This is not about politics. Which, which is crazy because there's drones all over the place in you, this. Like literally. You can't write a Tom Clancy game without politics. Tom Clancy was politics. I mean, that was his thing. Yeah, he and was the right winger. Yeah, and the and like everything about, it, like in every single bit of the of the met of like the monologue that the main guy has, oh, it's God, like, yeah. if you kill one of my brothers or sisters, I'll come after you. Yeah, just like doing James Adomian's uh, Jesse Ventura. It um, was, yeah, it's great because um, basically what happens the, the trailer shows us what happens is that um, the team from Wildlands goes to this island. Uh, where uh, John Bernthal's crew has taken over a drone production facility. The drones here are the stand-in for Metal Gear. Um, mm. <laughs> and what happens is Bernthal and his crew annihilate the team. Yeah. Um, kill at least two of the returning characters from Wildlands so that they can end up with a you know a perfectly respectably diverse new squad with a woman in it as well. Uh, so that everybody's getting in on the unaccountable American death squad. Um, More women, ops. <laughs> yeah. And all of this is set to possibly the most ludicrous cover I've heard ever. Uh, it's of Karma Police by Radiohead. Um, but it's it's cut up. Uh, it's, the, it's cut up and uh, remixed to the point that I actually thought they were stealing the song without paying for the license. Um, the first time I listened to it, but then I listened to it again, I realized, no, that's the melody, that's, um, there's some of the lyrics, uh, but it's a Hans Zimmer version, you know, with all the bangs and the, the whomps and all that stuff. 
Yeah, there's um, a lot of uh, I lost myself said over in like a very sad voice. Uh, yeah, sad. The the piano na- uh, waif sings I lost myself. Yeah, lots of reverb. Um lots of stabbing people. And you know, it's I'm going to play it at some point. I I don't uh, think I like what bugs me about it is it's just like it's such a country song aesthetic and not like not the country songs I like. It's like it's such like mm-hmm. a you know, uh oh have you thought about how sad it is to be a soldier? I mean, the main character might as well be Marcus Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's got the beard. He's got everything. He's obviously the most boring man in creation. Um, he sucks. And no one else has any more personality. The the, the woman is just, looks just like American Lara Croft. And what she all she does in the trailer is uh, help give him a shoulder to walk on, and also take a long time like knifing a dude in the neck a lot. Also, she, I think she gets shot at, at some point. Yeah, she gets shot. She's uh, um, and they all. My favorite thing about the trailer was the the sort of like pseudo gameplay that they mm-hmm. kind of simulate was uh, was everyone's favorite uh, shooting uh, drones while. Uh, while driving that was great because not just because of the drones but because i was wondering how how did the elon musk tesla drone production plant get from the drones they show in the beginning of the trailer which are just nor very realistic drones the way drones work right now with armed drones is you take a drone uh, a, a drone you strap a gun to it you put a basic trigger mechanism in so that when you press a button on the drone controls it presses the trigger down and you send it up in the air and that's what they do in the drone factory but then they show the like you know this this coastline raid uh with our heroes driving down uh this winding road on the coast shooting at drones behind them and then there's like these half track like flippy buggies with like you know drone chain guns that come out and it's like i'm not sure they had that on the production line <laughs> and if it, they did i'm very concerned yeah right like is this is this is this military approved? Also, there's like an active volcano right next to an ice biome. Yeah, uh, that looks- was that was cool. How they just like how they were able to do the whole like um, how they were able to do all of um, oh what was that movie called? The one with Matt Damon. Uh, all the Michael Bourne stuff. Like they were able to do the Michael Matt da- Bourne. Nice, Jason. Oh gosh, sorry. I was thinking of I was thinking of the Braves player. Uh, <laughs> no, all the all the Jason or and or Phillies player. All the Jason Bourne stuff that like they were able to do. Oh, cool! We were able to do this the ice and the non-ice parts. Cool. We can we can do the we can do the Hawkeye one and the the Matt Damon one. Yeah. Um. All in one. It doesn't have. We don't have to pick. There's also jungles, temperate forests. I think there's oh, probably sure. desert. Obviously beaches. And frankly, I'm fine with all that as long as you embrace the ridiculousness. Oh, and they're not. And, it's so and serious. Make, and make John Bernthal into Big Boss. They won't. And, but yeah, it's and honestly, and uh, Grumpy Mick Death Squad takes himself way too seriously to ever be a decent, like a, a Solid Snake takes himself seriously. But there's a difference in the way that a Snake character in a Metal Gear game behaves versus a nor a your standard AAA action protagonist. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. There's, and there's just not going to be that level of of chance taking in a game which is mainly based around you know always online shooting jumping into games with your friends and just going wild well yeah and i mean this is this is just this is just like uh you know what if what if left for dead was a was a military shooter 
And it's funny because they, th- they, they said they want to get away from that. They want to do more narrative-driven storytelling. They want to do a more stealth-based game. Well, this isn't um, that. Uh, I mean, maybe they showed very little gameplay, apparently, at the, at the, the, the event where this trailer was released. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I'll play it. I'm not going to pay full price for it. I'm going to complain about it relentlessly once I do start playing it. Um, but there's opportunities here for the people making these games to do interesting things within these frameworks. I have to believe that. I have to believe that there's a way for these games to be interesting. Um, and they're, they're not all just The Division 2. There's a reason we haven't seen The Division 2 uh, on the site, and that's because the game is hard to write about. Um... How, how's but, that been going? Uh, I have to, I have to rededicate myself. I need to, you know, dehumanize myself and face towards bloodshed. Face to bloodshed. Yeah, um, I, I don't ask because like I'm worried about deadlines. Because obviously, I, I, yeah, I'm not. But like, I am, I am, I am worried about you. <laughs> all that, all that I mean, time I've, in the division two cannot be good for you. I'm gonna be honest. I haven't played it in two weeks. Good. Um, it's and uh, and for the. Six hours before I stopped playing it, it had completely become a p- game where I just put on a podcast to listen to while mindlessly going through the through the motions. Yeah, I'm gonna jump back into it eventually, finish it off. Uh, I, I think there's gonna be new content eventually hitting soon. I know that they've they've expanded the end game apparently for this game over what they did in the Division One, but man, man, that game is way too uninteresting to be that hard as a solo game. Really. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, it doesn't even have there. There were a lot of interesting and stupid commentaries that Division One had on politics, where the sanitation workers were the villains, or the you know Rikers escapees were the villains, were you know killing the poor, you know putting the poor to death, or union men to death. And they looked like it looks like they went into Division Two with the idea we're not going to offer any of those contrafactuals. Or any of those, you know, yeah, right? Slightly interesting takes, um, and it seems like a less honest game that way. You know, the way that they've tried to remove all semblance of politics from a game that's about you retaking the nation's capital. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. It sounds sounds bad. Um, well, let's get to our last topic and then our games. Um, so, uh, you, you think loot boxes are going away, buddy? Absolutely not. I think that uh, U.S. Senator Josh Howley, Republican from Missouri, is just looking for something nice to put on his, oh, I definitely do politics and introduce bills uh, record for when he runs for re-election. But yeah, um, Howley from Missouri has uh, introduced a bill, or he has announced his plan to introduce a bill. um, (laughs) Always good. That will um, make it illegal for games quote, played by minors, unquote, to include loot boxes or pay-to-win microtransactions. Um, I'm not sure how you differentiate. I mean, I, I guess what you do is you do like a porn wall type thing where, you know, you have to be 18 plus to play this game. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like the idea that, like, you, you'd say, like, oh, um, are you 18? And you just have to put in your birth date, like in the old days where it was like... Yeah. Like on Steam, Steam still asks, you know, your birthday when you want to view a an adult trailer or something. It's like, oh yeah, my birthday is totally uh, March 2, 1976. Like, all right, yeah, well, enjoy the trailer. 
And it's very interesting in our society where the liability is placed for that because for the most part it's placed on the people putting in the fake birthdays. Yep, yep, But yep. for almost everything involving sex work, it's on the platform itself. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to guess, what well, I'm going to guess this is going, isn't going anywhere. Like it's uh, this... Uh, okay, here's given the Given what our, our legislature is doing right now and how divided it is, I don't see any of this going anywhere to begin with, but... Uh, here's the first problem. People don't know what video games are. <laughs> like, who's, okay. who's going to care? I mean, yes, uh, people do know what video games well, are. I know Trev, people know what video games are. You know what I'm saying. It's yeah, not like people I mean, are going to... It's not like the members of Congress are like, oh yeah, microtransactions. Like, There is no sizable opposing lobby to the games lobby in this situation, which is why it's dead. There's no other. There's no consumer lobby. There's no moralistic anti-gambling lobby. There, there's no infrastructure here on the other side of, you know, EA and uh, all the industry groups that represent publishers. Well, good uh, luck to pressure on this. Good luck getting like you know, uh, the, the the honorable like half dead corpse from you know the state of Utah uh, or whoever to you know, grasp the distinction of why microtransactions are sort of like gambling. Oh, I'm sure Mitt Romney's smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> That's not who I was implying. But, Orrin but like, Hatch is retired. It's well, Mike Lee and... and uh, well, I, meant a rep- I meant a representative. Well, the North Dakota oh, okay. or something. There's there's always some, like... There's always some dead person. Yeah, right. But, like, the idea is, I mean, it's ridiculous to me to think that... Because, like, you say, so say to, like, you say to a smart person, like... Yeah, microtransactions are like gambling. And I think even then, they're like, okay, so why? If they don't know what video games are, and then you're like, oh, well, it's like gambling because you have, quote-unquote, equal chances to get all these things. But, in fact, um, you know, within these equal chances, there are some things you really want and some things that are just, like, not anything you want. And uh, and so people pay all sorts of money to be able to get the things they want, and, you know, it, it becomes a whole thing. And once you explain that, okay, fine. But, like... You know, how do you how do you differentiate that between like oh you know like my kid loves these um well, I'll, I'll even I'll even be ser- like I'll even reveal my my own thing here my kid my particular kid loves these blind bat blind bags which are literally just gambling where you're just like okay be sure to buy be sure to buy this one it could be Fluttershy or like in, in like in one out of ten cases it's the it's the shiny one that you really want so. You may as well buy the whole box. Like, that's a thing that just, like, toy companies do. So yeah. how do you convince a senator that, like, this is somehow different? Well, you don't. I mean, the idea of having, like, that senators vote based on what they believe is... Okay, yeah. Okay, fine. Yes, that is true. But I even mean, taking that aside, like, like let's, just, let's just pretend for a moment they do. How do you get them to believe that? Well, Hawley has left himself an out here where you don't have to convince any of that. Because it's all about minors, right? right? All you have to do is stop minors from playing games. Mm. And that's that's his out. That's what he's got. And honestly, there's no chance in hell that passes because that's um, both the business conservatives and the Democrats are going to say absolutely not to that. Yeah. Um, but it does get impressed on podcasts like this. Um, and it does get his name out there for doing something related to legislation and not just upholding Mitch McConnell's iron grasp on the throat of this country. Right. Sure. Did um, you see? Did you see the um, the Wasbappen post? I don't like to bring up Wasbappen. <sighs> Wasbappen. But um, did you see the Wasbappen post that said that um, 
Hillary Clinton um, almost if like almost passed that uh, that like anti video game uh, censorship. Law. I don't remember what it's called, but basically it was like a, a James like a Joe Lieberman kind of mm-hmm. you know like let's let's get these let's get this filth off the streets or whatever where you'd have to be. You'd have to like give proof that you were 17 to buy an M-rated game, and if someone sold you it, they'd get in big time trouble or go to jail or whatever. Um, and he basically was like, "Did you, you know, these, this, this almost passed?" And then, uh, and then, huh? I guess if it wouldn't have passed, then uh, Gamergate wouldn't have happened, and uh, games would have been different. I wonder why all these bros hate Clinton so much. Yeah, I have to admit, I have not been keeping up with what. Uh Bashir al-Assad's greatest enemy in this world has been doing. Well, uh, no, and we're not talking about Enos Cantor here. No, no, no. That's that's Erdogan. He's, he's oh yeah, it. sorry, sorry, I confused yeah, it. It's, yeah, I'm uh, sure he doesn't Was like Bappen, Assad either. I believe no, no. Wasbappen hates Assad. He, he, you know, well, no, I know the, he hates Assad. I'm sure Enos oh, Cantor also hates Assad. But I am not going to speculate on what Enos Cantor believes. We're going to have him on the podcast next week, so um, <laughs> he's pretty <laughs> sure that they're going to be out of the Western Conference Finals by then. So. I mean, he's still is. Is Ramadan over at this? Um, really, myself. Uh, he was—he's fasting. Depending on when this is published, I guess. I guess it could okay, still be yeah. a question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's been fasting for all of the uh, for, for the round he was in. I mean, he's played very, better. very well. I should say. Very I sick, yeah. I am I am I'm mocking not Enos Cantor, but the uh, the Trailblazers uh, plausible uh, winning against the Warriors. I don't think oh, that's yeah. going to happen. Um, but Enos Cantor has been. Uh, any everything they could have wanted when they got him from New York uh, mm-hmm. for nothing because New York is a terrible franchise. Uh, uh, the New York Knicks are one of the only reasons I follow basketball. It's LeBron and the Knicks, um, just because for totally opposite reasons. For to- yes and no. I mean, yes in terms of outcomes of games up until last season for LeBron, yeah. this season for LeBron. But the, the sort of the outsized ridiculous drama that follows them around is is very similar. That's true. That's true. Um, and so that's spectacle I'm there for. Uh, but my team is the Washington Wizards, so I, oh. I don't actually oh, no, John. basketball, so to speak. Um, I try, and then two weeks in, I give up. Well, yeah, because... Well, they fired their horrible general manager, so maybe they'll be more fun now. Yep. Anyway, um, want to get to games? Yep. All right. Let's do it. It's the game section. That's the that's the stand-in I'm going to do for as long as we don't have a theme song for this, <laughs> uh, which may be always... Um, John, you were playing a new game this week. It is no longer Magic, although I assume you are still playing Magic somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, it's the thing about Arena is that it rewards you for playing daily, and I have a deck that can do that and get free shit every day. So it has me addicted, gambling-wise, sort of. Um, can we get a re- representative on the phone to get rid of this? <laughs> no, I, I've been my friend playing. John. I've been playing slash watching a lot of XCOM Two: War of the Chosen. Okay. Um. Especially the, the parts I've been playing, I've reinstalled it after having it uninstalled for a while. The parts I've been playing are the, the these legacy scenarios they have, where they, um, it, it's the very last content pack that was ever introduced to the game. What they did was they've, they've set up a bunch of uh, four chains of missions. Okay. So you, you get eight missions to a chain, and they each chain tells a story. So one is the story of your central commander uh, putting together XCOM after the fall. Another one is um, your engineer uh, helping get the your your big helicarrier in the air, that sort of stuff. Okay. And what That's they fun. do is they don't let you build your characters. You're given set loadouts. 
you get to choose between one or two loadout upgrades after every victory, uh, and and you're scored based on points. So it's it's sort of like a, it's it's a skill attack type mode. Okay, so you're basically uh, on rails. Yeah. Okay. And you and you get some nice cosmetic slash actual decent in-game upgrades from um, from completing these. Like if you complete the first one, you get all these old guns, like legacy guns. Oh, that, fun! You know, you know, taped up and you know, strapped up and, you know, the sniper rifle has a flashlight taped to it, oh, that neat. sort of thing. I like that. Um, and they get, and the trade-off for those guns is that uh, they each have a bonus of some kind, but they can't be modified the way that your other guns can. Okay. So it's cool stuff like that. Um, so I've been getting through that, and I've also been watching a lot of, uh, in my opinion, the best XCOM streamer there is, uh, Beagle Rush. Um, your buddy at, Beagle Rush. Uh, we know each other. We, we No, we don't know each other. Per our conversation earlier in the podcast, I watch his content. Um, <laughs> he's at twitch.tv slash Beags, B-E-A-G-S, uh, and the word and, Jam, J-A-M. Um, uh, he has, uh, Jamble is his long-term girlfriend, so that they, they share an account. Uh, and he is doing that he has finally like reached the master stage of XCOM streaming where he's making his own mod to make the game like five times harder cool. than it is in base. So he's like doubled the number of enemies, he's removed all of the action economy perks. So like there's a perk in XCOM two called running gun, which allows you to just like take an extra action. Um, you know, you get an extra move and an extra and if you haven't shot an extra um, attack and he's pulled that out all the action economy stuff that allows you to move more than once per turn which is where a lot of the strength of your actual XCOM characters lie has been removed from that and he's put a lot more abilities on the guns themselves which means he's got a lot more expendable troopers Dang. which means he can balance the game so that they die more okay. which makes actual gameplay more interesting sure right, right, um, right. and he hasn't mo removed the, the hero classes so he's still got a reaper and a um a skirmisher and a templar and he hasn't removed the assassin or the hunter or the warlock the chosen that run around hurting you um and a lot of this he's he's, he's making the mod on the fly you know this is a pr you know extreme sports uh play testing sort of thing uh and honestly it's some of the best it's the best XCOM content i've ever seen it's fantastic uh he uploads uh videos to his youtube channel as well so you can just watch uh, bite-sized, well not bite-sized, but hour-long, you know, of an individual mission. And if you've played XCOM 2, you know that the idea of an individual XCOM 2 mission taking an hour or an hour and a half on the regular is kind of ridiculous. Um, so he, he uh, he's doing it at a, at a very high level, and it's uh, incredibly fun to watch. And is that fast or slow? It again. I haven't played oh, any. He's, he's playing very slow. Okay. Um, uh, and because you know we're looking, he's looking at maps where he routinely runs into between thirty and fifty enemies. Okay, which is a lot. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice. I like it. Um, well, everyone should go watch him. Uh, I have been playing, so I've been playing a lot of the same games because that's kind of what I do in, in getting through stuff. But I have, I did intentionally pick up another game. It's a free game on Steam, um, and it's called Himno. Mm -hmm. um, and Hymno's really fun. It's like um, it was built as a game um, on Steam as like a good soundtrack game. You know how they have those games where they're like great soundtrack. Um, that's yeah. one of the things that they they bill you for, or they they like give you like the little like uh, tags for. 
Um, that Tetris Attack game or whatever it was was supposed to have a really good one. Yeah, 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 stuff like good that. Soundtrack game. Right, yeah. Um, so Hymna is really, really fun, and it it sort of is like this because um, I I ended up playing a bit of it, and I I got. Because you can you can lose in him now, but it's it's not really a game that's super focused on um, difficulty or winning or losing or anything like that. It, it is very much a game where like yeah, there are perks and there are levels and stuff, but there aren't enemies per se. You just kind of like you just kind of work your way through. Is uh, it a traversal game? Like yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. Like it 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 reminds me sort of like a of a like a climbing game almost where you're just kind of moving up levels and then trying to like work your way into different areas and getting enough like points to move on to the next area or get like fun little guys to help you pick up items and stuff like that. Um, it is very relaxing. And so I ended up looking up, I was like, is there like an end to this game? Like how long is it to beat and stuff? And um, there are like people, people have done it and they're like, okay, here's how you plat him now because we are a, um, a degenerate race. We've uh, discussed achievements before. Yeah, right. Yeah. And this is an achievement for a game that is basically just made so you can chill out, um, which is very funny. But the what I find really interesting about him now is that it's um, it literally is like a game that is just meant to to chill you out. And like you know, I don't I don't think I certainly don't cover a lot of games that are like that. A lot of the games I cover are games that are like okay. Um, you know, this is a this is a strategy game, or this is an action game, or this is a this or that game, right? Um, very rarely is it like, okay, this is a game where you are just gonna like get to relax your brain for a little bit. The whole point here is that you are going to um, shut down and chill out, and there's no point other than that. Um, that's wild to me. Like, it's wild that those kinds of games are like becoming a genre, and I think it's good. And that feels like it's distinct from like clicker games. Or, yep. Or "Quote unquote other idle games." Absolutely, because, you know. No, because those different vibe. Those have like those have an outcome. Like those have yeah. an outcome that you that you need to like work towards. Where it's like, yeah, no the the outcome of this game is you have so like take like uh, take something like um, like EDF. EDF's mm -hmm. a, a clicker game that I love. Uh, effectively, a clicker game. Um, not exactly the same, but not so far off. Um, is it Earth Defense Force. Yeah. Um, basically, like uh, basically like uh, Godzilla meets Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Um, oh, I have, I've, I remember those ants. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, but yeah, like it's it's a fun game, and in many ways, it's a clicker game. Like, there's not a lot of of intense mental processing that you have to put into uh, mm -hmm. EDF. It's very fun and it's very easy to play. But it has an outcome. You kill all the bugs and you get to the next level. It, it is it a progression based game? You get levels. You get like. Well, not levels, but no, no, you get levels, and you get mm -hmm. different health, and you get like um, you upgrade your guns. I think I think guns level up. You, too. They don't it's level up, but you find it. more. Like basically, mm -hmm. it's a gotcha game without any, without any like pay to play stuff. Basically, it's just you know, you you find the, you find the items in the field. You play enough, play enough EDF, and you'll get a lot of guns. Um, but the this game is like Himno doesn't feel like it actually has an outcome that it wants you to do. It feels like it's just kind of very minimalist. It's beautiful. It's a very pretty game. It feels really good to play, um, and you just kind of wander around and live in this tiny little pixelated world. And it's um, it's very good. I'm like I I am I'm very impressed by it. It's free, so I would say it's certainly worth your time to check out. Uh, you know, try it, try it, see see if you like it. Um. It is a short little download, uh, and you just get it. It has like, I think it has one little ad for another game that uh, probably the same people made. 
uh, and that is it. It's not like it's not going to try and sell you anything. It doesn't run a Bitcoin mo- a Bitcoin uh, 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 mine in the background or anything like that. It's just like it's literally like a little game someone made so you could relax, which is um, wild. I mean, it's just like it's it's a thing I'd never really thought of before. Mm. Outside of you know flash games or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could use relaxation. Yeah, I mean, you'd probably like it. It's uh, it's pretty. And, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know if it would necessarily be more than um, no more than like five or ten minutes of your time, but it's, it's good. Um, and considering that what I've been playing otherwise is Bloodborne and fighting games, like, it's <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so another podcast down, I'd say. I'd say we... Uh, this week. We, we did it. He's coming. Um, how is there every week a lot of gaming news? Like why? And it's not even like, oh, a new game's coming out. It's it's always like, someone else has uh, someone else has really screwed up this week. Oh, I mean, it's a 138 billion dollar industry, so I'm assuming that that has something to do with it. But yeah, I think a lot of greed. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we've got um, all right. E3 is early June, so great. Probably going to hit like a doldrums of news next week i that's what you'd, you'd expect you'd think the should should not have a lot of great uh, a lot of big news but you know who knows maybe someone will fire 400 workers again um i would say it is an absolute certainty yeah um well john always a pleasure to have you on um when always there's pleasure to be here oh well, that's wonderful um as soon as there is stuff to plug of yours i will plug it heartily um thank you in the meantime, any any anything you want people to be doing other than watching um, the excellent XCOM streaming uh, that we talked about before? Not really. Okay. Um, I also don't really want anyone to do anything uh, they don't want to do. Um, trying to think of anything that's out there right now that's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's probably some good comics or something you could be reading. I, I you know, oh, watch Doom Patrol. Oh, is that is that out? Yeah, it's on the DC Universe uh, streaming service. Uh, your mileage may vary on whether it's worth paying for the DC Universe streaming service just to watch Doom Patrol. It has been for me. I believe it is the best TV show of the past three or four years. Oh, really? But it's extremely. It's it's both very very funny, very very good, and extremely depressing. Well, but yeah, not I mean, because like there's you know it's not because they're like you know rubbernecking atrocity or anything, but just you know character work. Oh yeah, so I was gonna say, you know, you'll you know, I would say if you like Doom Patrol, the comic book, uh, you could probably pay for that service without fear, uh, because yeah. the what you're describing is like Doom Patrol, the comic book. It, it's it's wild that Morrison's name isn't on the opening credits. They, they credit the original creators of Doom Patrol, which aren't Grant Morrison, but no. the the show is Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Well, yeah, no one's going to make a show of the original, like the yeah. the DC Comics presents. I love the DC Comics presents Doom, Doom Patrol. There, it's really neat. But I mean, Morrison's yeah. is so much more compelling as like an actual serious piece of work. I mean, come on, it's wild stuff. I, I huh. advise everyone to check it out. Uh, I think it's getting a second season. Cool. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the executives treat that as a loss leader, because the, the DC Universe Network, obviously, is just burning money to become established. Um, yes, of course. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long the leash is that they give them, but for now, it's it's a very, very good show. How many... Um, who's your favorite... How many is not what I wanted to say. How, who's your favorite character? It is a toss-up. The there's an actress on 
the show. Uh, Diane Guerrero plays um, Crazy Jane. Okay. And she is she is the star breakout act. Like every like if there is one person who is has created a career for themselves from this show, it's Diane Guerrero. Okay. But uh, April Bowlby, who you may remember from her most high pr- highest profile recent uh, job as the Bikini Girl in Two and a Half Men. Cool. Uh, she is Rita Farr. On and Last who Year could Golden. forget? And <laughs> she is fantastic. Um, hmm. Elastigirl's a really cool character to play. Yeah, that's a neat one. And there, and there's there's so much. There's a lot of layering. Like obviously, Crazy Jane gets to have a uh, Diane Guerrero gets to show a lot more range than uh, well, Bobby does. Well, naturally, given the nature of the character. Yeah, Crazy Jane is sixty four separate people, so she gets to basically just you know hold forth here. Here is how good I am at this, but. Uh, Bowlby is just just a fantastic because the character is a stage actress, not a stage actress, a, like a silver screen actress from the fifties, and she does such a good and understated job of putting that character forward and then pulling the layers back on it. Um, That's nice, and it's 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 absolutely fascinating to watch. And also, like it, this the show fe- just randomly features maybe the best work of Brendan Fraser and Timothy Dalton's career. Hmm. Just you know, as uh, as a, a throw-in, even um, better than Bond and the Mummy. Yeah, or Penny Dreadful. Mm, um, no way. And al- and also the villain is uh, Alan Tudyk. Oh, I like Alan Tudyk. He is fantastic. Yeah, he's usually he usually puts in a good performance. Yeah, I I, I appreciate him. Um. Well, yeah, you've convinced me. I like Doom Patrol. I uh, I think that and uh, and Metal Men. Um. Although they don't really do much with Metal Men anymore, and they never had a Vertigo series or anything, but they're my favorite uh, old forgotten DC presents things. Although again, Doom Patrol, under the hand of Grant Morrison, was uh, far less forgotten for quite a yeah. while. Cool. All right. All right. I like it. I'm. I'm. I'm looking forward to watching that. So, John. Um, until next time, I suppose. Same time, same channel. That's correct. All right. Good night, everyone.